2: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns,
1: opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mukigana harrington joined by my North by Northeast by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston, and today we have a very special guest, Evan
2: our new Japan expert, Brandon, tell me about Evan. We try to follow WWE business pretty closely, and uh, sometimes we lose how well we follow the other promotions. And really emerging as the number two promotion in the wrestling industry right now is New Japan Pro Wrestling, and somebody who does as good, if not a better, job than anybody on following things like New Japan's business, New Japan's attendance is Mister at Evan Deadly Sins W on Twitter. You can follow him. He's regularly tweeting things about New Japan business and, and other Japanese pro wrestling promotions. So we are thrilled to have him here to to talk everything that we can possibly talk about within an hour or two about New Japan business. Evan, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for being here.
1: Well, really glad you could join us. Um, as as uh, Brandon mentioned, the big thing about New Japan right now is while lots of people can argue, okay, attendance of this Fed is bigger, attendance of this event is bigger, I would argue New Japan is the only company that seems to be making a really quantified worldwide approach to professional wrestling in today's age besides WWE would you agree with that I would agree with it and it's probably one of the
3: reasons why I'm so invested in success right now when you see a company growing before your eyes and you're a fan of that company it's a great thing to see
1: so uh, take us back a little bit how long have you been following uh, New Japan and uh, kind of following it online with with uh, the availability of internet information
3: I was probably the first, maybe second, big wave of fans. I have to thank Mr. Jarrett for bringing me in with Wrestle Kingdom 9. Though I was reading about the promotion and learning a little bit about it before that. That was when I really started watching regularly. New Japan World as well was a contributor to me following the product with frequency.
1: And the the interesting kind of phenomenon with New Japan World has been... Um, all these discussions about the the different OTT numbers that they have been getting. Um, Can you bring us up to date on where we think New Japan World is right now in terms of both subscribers worldwide and subscribers in either Japan or non-Japan?
3: Well, the most frequent number we got was from Kevin Kelly on one of the G1 Climax where he said we were back up to 60,000 subscribers. And I would estimate that we were... Probably in the same neighborhood as Wrestle Kingdom as far as percentage goes, where we were also at 60,000, about 25% outside of Japan. So that would be about 15,000 everywhere but Japan.
1: So what is your take on that? Do you think as you've seen how New Japan has structured that service, are they really thinking heavily about the international uh, compatibility or is it really an afterthought for them?
3: See, this is one thing I'm always lamenting to people that I talk to. It seems like they don't do the maximum that they could for us, but even things like – things that you think would be pretty easy, they don't seem to be doing yet. So I think that uh, once they get more of the United States infrastructure, they'll start appealing more to the international audience with things like subtitles on more of their videos and interviews and such. Right now, they're not doing as much as they could, and that, I think that's one thing that might be hurting their subscriber counts outside of Japan.
1: I remember reading a uh, interesting passage from uh, is it uh, Chris Charlson's book about Lions Pride, where it's it's a really good history of New Japan, and he was kind of just trying to explain how subscription services in Japan are just not nearly of the uh, magnitude and strength that they are here in the United States, and so that's one of the reasons that they just don't seem like they're putting as much effort into you know creating a Roku type app or things of that nature that we we expect almost from uh, uh streaming services how do you watch new japan world usually
3: i watch on my laptop it's kind of annoying sometimes but it's the only way i do it
1: yeah and i I think that's the the challenge is is something brandon and i talk a lot about is just whenever you have hurdles for people adopting technology or getting involved in your product it it it's really easy for people to tune out and just to say, ah, oh, it's too hard. You know, we hear from people that they think the WWE network is too hard to get on their television. And good Lord knows they've made about a thousand more uh, attempts to make that easy for you compared to what New Japan is. Now they
2: do have Chromecast, right? Yep. For New Japan World. I don't have a Chromecast. Or I've never used it. What I usually use, I think we talked about this before, but I usually try to airplay it from like my phone or an iPad to the TV because I have an Apple TV. But uh, yeah, it, they don't make it very easy. I think a lot of people probably HDMI it to the TV as well.
3: The only two dedicated applications right now they have for other devices are Chromecast and Amazon Fire TV, which just recently came out.
1: Mm. That's a that's a good one to, to definitely get in, in bed with. We've been talking a lot about how Amazon is kind of becoming this kind of hidden little number two service between, you know, offering Twitch and AAA and stuff like that going on. You
2: can watch it through the Amazon Fire Stick too. I didn't know that. See, breaking news, breaking news. There we go. Like so, so so real quick though. But like, how do you know all this stuff? Are, are you are you following the um and reading like the Japanese publications translated and stuff? What specifically are you asking about? Like you, you're you're reading a lot of stuff that's originally published in Japanese, right? Yeah, some stuff. So where, where do you find that stuff? How do you come across it?
3: If you just um, the New Japan hashtag on Twitter, just put an NJPW on Twitter, and sometimes you'll see things like news articles on different websites. So there's been a lot of, um, Brandon,
1: you've been making lots of graphs out of different things that people have put up here, and uh, some of this information comes from uh, websites, some of the the people there. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the graphs you've been looking at for, say, the revenue that's been going on with New Japan this year, and uh, also about where we're getting sources of information for stuff like this now.
3: Actually, first, I want to bring up one more thing that I probably should have mentioned regarding the popularity of streaming services. I recently read an article saying that New Japan's first goal, at least their current goal for the medium term, was to become the most popular subscription service in Japan. And currently, that is Pacific League TV, which is a streaming service for for the Pacific League of Professional Baseball. And that has about 80,000 subscribers. So if you think, well, 80,000 subscribers is nothing in the United States, but it's the most popular streaming service in the entire country of Japan. So when people say, oh, 60,000 it's no big deal, it kind of is a big deal. And even on the grand scheme of WWE Network, it's still nothing, but it should really be thought of with the mindset of subscription services are very much a baby software or technology in Japan. That's a great point. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a great kind of indexing number is that, you know, when WWE Network likes to brag that they're like number three or number four behind Netflix and Amazon and Hulu – it's the same sort of thing where it's like you, you really want to be able to say, wow, New Japan is is like number three, probably number two, number three, number four, number five in there uh, in terms of where they're indexing. So that's incredible. And it just says also how that technology is just not taken off in that space. And I don't know if that's because of the, the dominance of the television channels and they just don't want it to take off. Um, because obviously a lot of money is still coming from these big TV stations, or if it's um, just a good example of just like pay-per-view never took off in Japan. A different mindset leads to a different culture outcome,
2: and and so eighty thousand. That so we're talking about baseball, and that's probably the most popular sport in Japan, right? Oh, definitely. So then that they've only got twenty thousand more. Than New Japan and, and pro wrestling is not one of the most popular sports in Japan, right? Although it still gets covered by the Japanese media and all that. But that, I think that's pretty impressive that they've got 60,000 for pro wrestling and 80,000 for, for baseball.
3: Of course, I would think that we have substantially more international subscribers for New Japan pro wrestling than for Japanese baseball. So probably about 45,000.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's interesting. We, we were talking about this uh, yesterday yesterday. About that 15,000 people or so, ten to 15,000 international subscribers, if you had to take a wild guess, how do you think it's distributed across the world?
3: I'd say at least 75% United States, UK, Canada, the English-speaking nations, probably even more. This is just a total guess, by the way. I don't really know anything about that.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's consistent with what we've seen for both um, wrestling population demographics, you know, who listens to podcasts, who's on Reddit, things like that. That's very consistent that usually about three quarters seems to be coming from those countries because not only are they big streamers, they're English speakers, like you said. And they also seem to have a lot of disposable income and interest in trying to get into these markets. And obviously that's where, you know, New Japan rolling out U.S. tours and whatnot
2: says a lot about what they think their audience here must be. And, and if you scroll down on our document I've got this the screenshots from similar web that show just a, f- a few snapshots of what what the uh, the region breakdowns were according to the you know whenever we're talking about similar web we're talking about estimates that are not necessarily correct but this is I, I don't know of a superior uh, place to look to, to get information like that this and we, we of course see Japan at the top United States uh, this so if we look at the last 28 days as of August 21st, it's 45% Japan, according to this estimate. 45% Japan, 28% United States, 9% UK, 3% Germany, and 2% Australia are the top five. So Canada might be the only one that's the exception out of there. Right. And if you look at other time periods, Canada is in there. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, so they might be around 2% as well. And Germany's an
1: interesting one too, because uh, that's one that we always hear about as being kind of a pro wrestling streaming powerhouse. Despite not necessarily having English as a first language, um, there was always a lot of talk that the WWE Network was abnormally popular in Germany to the point that there might even have to be kind of payments made to uh, make good for some of the German
2: television stations that felt like they were being cheated out. And there's that rumor that there are eighty thousand subscribers, WWE Network subscribers, in Germany alone, right?
1: Yeah, at one time there was that.
2: Oh, that was before
1: they'd even launched WWE Network in Germany, as using kind of other methods. Going back right. to um uh, Japan, I, let's go back to that revenue question I had earlier about where are we getting this information about New Japan revenue, and how does it stack up in recent years to to the previous years?
3: Well, I basically mostly through like news articles on various japanese websites where you'd see kidani with a graph of how revenue has been going up and down in recent years and they've pretty much been pretty public that they're not as high revenue as they used to be but they've been really touting that they might break their all-time revenue this year last year so it's been in the news a lot recently
1: and let's talk a little bit about kidani as a um a personality. Of course, when we think of of WWE, we have Vince McMahon, who's his promoter, and now he's a public businessman. And this has been a tough transition for him because sometimes his promoter instincts and his businessman instincts are very different in terms of what he can say to marketplaces. What is your take on Kidani? Do you think what he's saying is, is truthful or it's always should be viewed through a lens of a little bit of skepticism?
3: I would view anything anyone ever says through a lens of skepticism, but I think that I don't really know how much he wants to lie to people because I really do believe that, number one, he's a big wrestling fan. Number two, he seems to be very competitive. And he has a, you could say he might have a Vince McMahon-sized chip on his shoulder. He really, it seems to me like he really wants to become a major player in the world of wrestling, another second player to WWE.
1: And uh, do do you know much about his background as a businessman?
3: Not really, other than what I produces now. Pretty much entertainment fri- franchises, Um
1: card games, things like that. Yeah, he's about 57, so he's good, you know, he's more, uh, what is it, let's see how old Dana White is. He's actually a couple years older than Dana White, but, you know, he definitely, he comes across a little bombastic and very um, high-flying in terms of his goals for New Japan when I read his tweets. Um, And do you think this expansion is something that he's really um, passionate about, this expansion in the U.S. market, or do you think this is something that's being driven from other forces?
3: I think he might be the biggest driving force in it because if the, there's one thing I've learned about Japanese businesses, even though I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, proclaim to myself to be an expert on Japanese business culture, is they tend to be fairly conservative as far as expanding to worldwide markets. But he seems to be one of the more forward-thinking, you could say ambitious people in that aspect, that he really sees that there's a lot of potential for New Japan outside the United States, where most Japanese companies and businesses would be Content with where they are in Japan.
2: His official title is president of Bushi Road. So, does he have other responsibilities other than running New Japan? Do you know?
3: Well, he pretty much has to serve all the different masters in his companies because New Japan's not all he has. And I don't know how much he really—he probably isn't that involved in New Japan in the day-to-day aspects, which he might have been at one point when he was CEO of the company. But now he's no longer is because he wanted to take a less of a take a less of an authority lens with the regular management of the company, but. He probably is involved in like top down decision making as far as things like the overall direction of the company, maybe not creatively, but as far as business projects and overseas expansion efforts
2: so there there's other executives what do you What do you know about who the other executives are and sort of what their involvement is in the company?
3: I know we have uh, probably the one you see the most often is Naoki Sigabayashi, who is I don't exactly know his title offhand, but I can look it up right now quickly
1: and while you're doing that, um one of the other things that I think people have been really um interested in is seeing. New Japan putting, quote-unquote, true attendances on their website, and uh, I was just kind of curious if you could walk us through a little bit more of what's the history, what's the data we've seen here, do we have an idea of when numbers, quote-unquote, changed from work to true, and uh, just where? what exactly is this webpage if someone themselves wanted to go and look at it?
3: Okay, well, first of all, just want to jump back quickly. Naoki, Naoki Sugabayashi is the president, is the uh, chairman of the company. Kazuhiko Harada is the president. As far as what they do in their day-to-day roles, I have no idea. But there you go. <laughs> so, Excellent. as far as far as the company attendance is concerned, they claim to have started sharing real, true paid attendance figures, as in the number of tickets sold, as of April twenty-nine, two thousand fifteen.
1: And, and how do we know it's just that date? Was that actually the way they phrased it in a press release?
3: Yes, they said, as of this date, we are sharing true attendance figures.
1: <laughs> can you imagine if WWE came out and said, as of today, we are going to tell the truth from now
2: on, starting on this date? I think it was an interview because I often have, have to like reference it when I write articles. I'll, I'll link the article. It's, it's, it's an interview, right? That he says that? Pretty sure, yeah.
1: And then where can I go if I am a, a casual fan and I said, that sounds like some neat data. I would love to go look at that.
3: Well, what you have to do is you have to go to the Japanese website, njpw.co.jp slash results. And it'll bring up the results page in Japanese, obviously, for every show that they've run since mid 2007. But some of those don't have attendance figures. And, and from there, you can pretty much look at whatever you want to see. And you can see that this show from Christmas time 2007 drew 1695 fans, even though that probably was a lie back then. So obviously not all the data is great for comparison purposes, but it's there. You could probably and, make a rough estimate
1: of it. Yeah, and it's, it's a fascinating little thing that they've done. And of course, as as a podcast called WrestleNomics, anything about numbers and professional wrestling is kind of our... Our bread and butter. So I think it's fascinating that you know you're getting that data versus even WWE, where the best you can get is their SEC filings, where they'll give you kind of uh, quarterly numbers. Now they used to give you monthly numbers. Now just quarterly averages for North America and international, and then non-WrestleMania North America. But uh, New Japan really doing much smaller. And so from that, you've been able to make a lot of uh, tweets, kind of looking at uh, graphs that, that look at the difference in attendance year over year. And so what what have been some of your conclusions about, you know, for the maybe the first quarter of the year, the first half of the year, how Japanese promotions are doing on an attendance basis?
3: You mean you can't trust what Michael Cole says on his announcements with the, the number of fans? That's not that's not real. My mind's
1: blown. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, especially when when somehow they, they fit one hundred and one thousand people in a stadium and then later report through SEC filings that maybe it was closer to 80. Thousand or something, and then you're like, well, that that include ushers and tickets and, and hot dog, dog sellers. Like yeah, a lot of vegan hot dog sellers that year, I guess.
3: Okay, so I'm pretty much carrying, uh, pretty much been taking attendance for all of the major companies in Japan. I'll tell you the numbers the numbers that I've been basically recording every show for New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Noah, Dragon Gate, DDT, Big Japan Pro Wrestling, Wrestle One,
1: and Stardom. And, and is four. zero? I'm sorry. I was just going to ask: is zero one still a uh, a player in the Japanese scene?
3: They exist, but I've never been able to f- to uh, find attendance figures for them with any level of frequency. They don't publish them on their
1: website, unlike most other companies. Got it. Thank you. So c- keep going ahead. What have you learned about these companies?
2: And and real quick, that that's the source of most of these attendances. They're publishing them right on their own official websites.
3: Yeah, it's so it's so funny to see when you think about like the American mindset. Russell 1's ready to admit that they had 120 fans of this show.
2: Yeah, and right. TNA,
1: TNA will never admit to that for their New York shows, that uh were drawing mostly uh,
2: empty seats. They, they will still I- exaggerate, though, obviously, as we, as we just discussed.
3: Fans disguised as empty seats. That's what they would say.
2: Exactly.
1: So uh, from all those companies, what has been the trend uh, this year? And when we talk attendance, are you talking average attendance per show or aggregate attendance?
3: I've been tracking both total attendance and average attendance. And I've found that there's basically been three companies this year that have really started to improve as far as the previous year, as far as total attendance is concerned. New Japan, Stardom, and the biggest growth this year, percentage-wise, has definitely been All Japan Pro Wrestling. For the first quarter of the year compared to the first quarter of last year, they've increased over 50%
1: in their total attendance. And and do you think... um what what companies are really hurting then? Uh, it, when you, you mentioned NOAA and Big Japan and DDT and Dragon Gate, are any of them substantially down for the year? Only NOAA
3: and Russell One are substantially down from last year, both about 20 to 25% down from the previous year.
1: So let's break down, um, based on what you know or what your thoughts are, uh, what do you think is driving this turnaround in all Japan, and what do you think is driving this bottom falling out for a company like NOAA?
3: Well, people talk about all the time how... A clear and popular top guy can really make a difference in the business, but the more I look at it, it seems to be true. All Japan has seen a resurgence since they pretty much, since the rise of Kento Miyahara, who is their current ace and former champion. And who knows, he might be winning the championship back in a couple of days, but we'll see about that. Because he's become really popular. He's probably one of the most over-wrestlers in the entire country outside of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And with them... And with him, and also with running more shows, their business has improved a lot. Meanwhile, you can look at the exact opposite occurring in NOAH, where they're running fewer shows, and they don't really have a top guy who is super popular. I know they're really trying to push uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima pretty hard right now as the top guy. He's the current champion. But he hasn't really been catching on. Most people seem to think he doesn't really have the babyface charisma that a champion and top guy needs. But we'll see about what happens with him.
2: Does suzuki Goon leaving hurt, you think?
3: yeah. Although they did hurt, as far as the popularity goes, they were really hurting some of the native Noah guys because they were frequently coming in and wreaking havoc and making them look worse than they were. They were a draw, and you have seen numbers decrease
2: when they left. The narrative I heard was that when they first came in – so they were in – for people who don't know, they were in New Japan for a long time, and then New Japan apparently started this relationship with Noah and basically loaned Noah, a bunch of talent, including the entire Suzuki Goon stable, you know, led by Minoru Suzuki, and the, the story that I heard at the time was it was maybe in some ways it was good for their business, but it was also turning off a lot of you know diehard, loyal Noah fans who saw them as not not Noah guys, so they were I don't know, less enthusiastic about supporting the promotion.
3: I mean, I haven't really spoken to fans who have given that opinion because my ability to reach out to them isn't exactly the best right now, but sure, sure. I would assume that. They were kind of disinterested in saying this new heel group for a company that they may or may not have been watching coming in and looking strong against all their favorite wrestlers. I can't imagine how it would turn out them off from the product. And it
1: probably wasn't a good decision in hindsight. And with, the, with this big resurgence going on in all Japan, if I'm a fan living here in, in North America and I want to watch some of this all Japan footage, what's the best way for me to watch all Japan uh, television or matches that are going on?
3: Well, unfortunately, they haven't made nearly as many inroads as far as broadcasting to Western audiences, but they actually are starting. The tried-and-true method of recent vintage has been the Real Hero Archive, which is a great service for all types of different Japanese wrestling. It's free because most of the shows are uploaded on Japanese television and then made available. But there's also – actually, in the last couple of weeks, All Japan has been coming out with shows, old shows for now, on uh, Fight TV, which also broadcasts some other wrestling so you can uh, check those out, and I don't know if they're going to be broadcasting more recent shows. But right now, they have they have started to develop a small backlog of All Japan content from this year.
1: And we should also clarify when you say All Japan has been going up by you know fifty percent, almost five times or three times the amount that New Japan has gone up. The difference, though, is All Japan's coming from a pretty low base from where they had gotten down to, versus New Japan is has been, as far as I can tell, somewhat decent in, in terms... What is the average attendance size for each of these uh, promotions right now? New Japan and All Japan? Uh, let's go through the whole list.
3: Okay. For this year so far, New Japan has run 105 shows with an average attendance of 2,539. All Japan, for the first half of 2017... Because I'm not exactly up to date on my figures right now, they've run 63 shows, average attendance is 565. Noah, 55 shows, average attendance 467. Dragon Gate, average attendance 1015, and uh, Wrestle One, average attendance 3 3- 385 for 28 shows. My figures for um, DDT and Big Japan are a little bit behind, but they tend to average. DDT averages about. 895 and big Japan averages about 400, but they run many more shows
1: as well. And dragon gate is a real um, show churner, aren't they? They, they run a whole lot of shows in a year, don't they? Yeah. More than new Japan. Yeah. And, and this kind of brings me back to an article that was published. I'm trying to think, was it the Japan times or something where they had this discussion of revenue comparison for different companies? And they said, okay, new Japan for fiscal year, 2016, is doing about 28 million dollars, which was like 3.2 billion yen. And then they said sumo is about 10.8 billion yen, which is 95 million. And then they they referred to it as Japanese pro wrestling, including New Japan, as being 12.5 billion yen or 4 billion yen, which was 109 million, which suggested New Japan was maybe a quarter of the total pro wrestling marketplace. Now, I know in Japan, sometimes the lines between mixed martial arts and pro wrestling and other things can be a little blurred. So when you saw those numbers, did you interpret it as that $109 million that is the whole pro wrestling industry is what we would think of as the combination of all those feds you mentioned, plus any of the other small ones out there? Or would that include like a Ryzen or something?
3: I honestly have really no idea. And when I looked at those numbers, I was pretty much shocked. I can pretty much tell you that I think there is extremely low probability that that's actually a representation of what all the current co- companies combined in just pro wrestling right now are making. I think that New Japan makes up a much larger source of a percentage of revenue than that.
1: Yeah, because they had five times the attendance of All Japan plus running more shows. They had five times the attendance of of Noah, twice the attendance of of Dragon Gate. Uh, You know, there are multiples of all these other companies, and we just—I just have a hard time believing, just like you, when I saw that hundred million number and thinking, "Okay, New Japan's only a quarter of that. Seventy-five percent of this marketplace is everyone else." I I just couldn't make the math work in my head unless it was coming from some misinterpretation of the word pro wrestling, and you're looking at some other census data of some kind, or Bushi Road's entire revenue, or something.
3: I would pretty much estimate that the second largest company in Japan, which is Dragon Gate, would probably be at best a third to the size of New Japan because their tenants is little is about half, but they don't have as many revenue streams from international. And I don't know about their merchandise, but I don't know and um yeah, when you have the second company in the world in the second company of the country being a third the size of the first son first one, it's extremely unlikely for the for the largest company to be only representative of a quarter to a third of the revenue of the entire industry, so you have lots of small companies, but they don't add up that much over time. So
1: yeah, it would have to be an incredibly long tail uh, for it for that to work. Um, is, is Stardom hands and above the largest Joshi promotion?
3: They have a good bit of, they have a good bit of distance on the second largest, which would probably be. So the problem is, every promotion besides Stardom usually has some flaw. Like, Set Night Girls is popular, and their big shows do well, but they run so infrequently. i probably say that as far as pure tennis is concerned, the number two promotion for Joshi is probably Ice Ribbon.
1: Yeah, and that's that's who I was going to guess next to. And, and, of course, whatever we're exposed to through the web is always going to kind of disproportionately uh, play bigger for us. And so the people that are better at getting their images and their videos out there are obviously going to always seem a little bit bigger than the companies that aren't.
3: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Stardom has by far the most intuitive and the most, the most catered to Westerners form of social media for English speaking fans. It's pretty impressive how they jumped new Japan in that regard. And they still haven't caught up.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it, it makes you wonder with this new Japan, let, let's maybe switch gears a little bit and talk about the new Japan, us relationship and, and kind of this reaching out to fans. Um, Let's start off by just asking, what were your impressions of the Long Beach shows? Well, it started
3: out a little bit rough with some of the production snafus, but over time, it picked up. Certainly the work was there on the part of the wrestlers, and I believe that the presentation overall was pretty good. Do I believe that they did everything perfectly? Obviously not. I heard that they really did not bring enough merchandise. I heard that they uh, really—there were some— Problems with the commentary that people were talking a lot about on social media after those shows. But overall, I think it was a good introduction, and I think it made a lot of new fans.
1: Your opinion, do you think they understand what the American fans want from a New Japan creation? And I bring up the Billy Gunn-Tanahashi match as an example of, do you think they misunderstand that American fans would rather see the Japanese presentation on their homeland rather than seeing a hybrid combination of of adapting it to the marketplace?
3: I think that they don't completely understand, but they're also not clueless. Unless they figured that having Kenny Omega versus Tomohiro Ishii in a match for the United States title, which ended up with him winning the title Omega and becoming the new champion, that was a smart move. That shows that they know he's the most popular guy in the West by a good margin, I would think. Ishii, I'm not sure if people know how popular he is because he is surprisingly popular one of the most popular Japanese guys outside of the main guys with the Western audience. Was he there just to be the, cho- the token Japanese guy who loses because it needs to be a Japanese guy who loses so American feels- Americans feel good about it themselves? Maybe. I don't know their mindset, but I think that the Billy Gunn thing was probably a blemish on their understanding. They probably figured that having someone recognizable and popular from the good old days would be good for the audience. But his work was clearly not there, and people weren't interested in seeing him on a New Japan show. And if they heard the reaction to that match, they probably won't be bringing him too much again.
2: Yeah, and, and Billy Gunn was somebody that they had used in the past. He had been in the World Tag League and and maybe a few other things, right?
3: Yeah, he was in the World Tag League 2016. They brought him in sporadically. He was at the Dome show. He was in the uh, Wrestle Kingdom pre show Rumble. Right. That was fun. The, the pre
2: show Rambo is always fun. So we were talking about. Take a look at some of the top promotions in Japan and New Japan. Obviously, has New Japan World. Det started an OTT service, I think, in December. Det Universe, uh, Stardom has Stardom World. Uh, even we're seeing All Japan get on the fight apps where you can buy selected events and watch them on VOD. Um, but Dragon Gate, as, as I think you just mentioned, is, is maybe the number two promotion, would you say? And they, they don't have an OTT service, but they do have Nico Nico, right? Like, so, so, could you tell us like Kind of what Nico Nico is, if you know, and like why doesn't Dragon Gate do a, an OTT service like New Japan, DDT, or Stardom?
3: Well, my understanding of Nico Nico was shaky at best because I've never used it, but from my underst- Yeah, I've
2: never used it. it. It sounds like a nightmare to use, especially if you don't know Japanese.
3: Yeah, it seems like a very... it's like an interface where you purchase points and from there you can buy shows or whatever for all types of different things. I know Nico Nico is a very popular uh, video service or website in Japan... It's kind of like Japanese YouTube, but not really. But as far as ordering shows for them, I really don't know. It seems like they would get some benefit out of producing their own service. But right now, it seems to be working for them.
2: Right, And you, would, would you agree Dragon Gate's number two in Japan, behind New Japan?
3: Yeah, definitely. In Tokyo, they're not as popular as DDT, but overall, throughout the country, they're the second largest promotion, definitely.
2: Okay. And it, so DDT is more popular in Japan? Or, I'm sorry, in Tokyo?
3: yeah they are they have more of a base there whereas dragon Gate's more more uh, dragon gates one of the few major companies not based in tokyo metropolitan area they're more popular in the kobe region which is um a bit of a distance away and that's where they run more of their shows
2: than anywhere else so right. we, they we have always a bigger hear struggle outside gate of, shows. of uh, tokyo you always hear dra- about dragon gate shows happening at kobe world hall is that's, that's that's the big venue right
3: yeah, it is, and that's the place where they say that they put 9,800 people into a 7,000-seat building.
2: But that's neither here
1: nor there. <laughs> so just just for those people that might be listening or named Chris Harrington who aren't always up on their Japanese wrestling, what is the current allegiances for Japanese federations with other companies in the world? So New Japan has a relationship with Ring of Honor, and can you go down the list and kind of mention the other relationships that today seem to be in, in existence?
3: So New Japan has relationships with Ring of Honor, CMLL in Mexico, Revolution Pro in England, and I think that's it at this point. I remember when they said that they – about two years ago, they said they had an alliance with uh, WXW in Germany, but that never seemed to go anywhere. I think that's the only three. I know that Stardom has a relationship with uh, Ring of Honor, and they've been currently been trading talent a little bit. GDT – is pretty much isolated all japan russell one um big japan those are pretty much isolated too i know that i think one promotion works with has a relationship with czw but i'm not sure if that one is probably fmw which is a tiny uh promotion that's focused on hardcore and other spectacular feats of danger but that's about it most companies don't really have much of a relationship with other american promotions right now
1: well and tna though has a working relationship is it with russell one
3: no, it's it's um, Paul the wrestling
1: Noah. Noah, Noah, and of course there's some big news coming out uh, recently about the new champion of Noah, who is a uh, GFW competitor. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it just it, it's interesting to see kind of where the the ships have lied, uh, late so far, and you know with all Japan kind of seeming like it's making a comeback here, I'll be curious if if um, should some of these relationships change at all if they will get more into the mix. Um, Let's talk about that New Japan-ROH relationship, which is uh, seen a lot. I have personally felt that ROH is getting a lot more from this relationship than New Japan is. And while New Japan was probably able to plant a lot of seeds for their ability to kind of begin an American excursion through the ROH exposure, at a certain point, I don't know if this relationship will continue to be mutually beneficial. Um, Do you have any thoughts on, on how it's been working and what it might look like in the next year or two? Well, I would probably agree with you that
3: New Japan, as far as the short term goes, hasn't been getting that much. Pretty much their biggest asset that they've gotten because of this relationship is Michael Elligan. But Ring of Honor has been getting a lot of things from New Japan, be it talent to work their shows in America, and pretty much big gates because the New Japan wrestlers have novelty and they draw for at least a certain amount of time. But I think over time, people are seeing that New Japan is rapidly replacing – Ring of Honor as the hot product for hardcore wrestling fans in the United States even. And if they start running more shows here, look out because Ring of Honor's purpose might see itself becoming less and less clear over time.
1: And haven't we even seen um, a couple, like isn't there New Japan U.S. tour operations guy, like a former Ring of Honor guy?
3: Yes, George Carroll is the current director of United States operations and he is a former worker of Ring of Honor.
1: Yeah, so I, I almost wonder too with kind of ROH's large parent company Sinclair having so many other obligations and interests that have nothing to do with professional wrestling expansion, if ROH is going to continue to get lost in the shuffle and New Japan is going to have to, I, I do think you always need local market talent. So I'm glad to hear that you know they're they're hiring some people like that. Uh, do you, have you heard about anyone else that they've hired for U.S. operations for from New Japan?
3: Um, At this point, no, I haven't. It seems like they're using some freelance guys as far as things like presentation are concerned, but they seem to be very very secretive as far as what they're doing right now. So I guess we'll see more as time goes on.
1: Speaking of which, do we know what their next set of plans is for when the U.S. is coming back? I know there's some kind of cryptic, open-ended statements made during the Long Beach shows. I don't know if we would got any clarity on that.
3: During the Long Beach shows, they said they would be back in 2018. That's it. Kidani... Spoken in an interview saying that he wanted to do a larger Japanese-style tour, whatever that might mean, early this year or early next year in uh, probably March or April. So when I read that, I assume he means multiple shows in different cities, different markets, engaging how things are in those different markets. So I think that's probably what we might see. I remember and there was rumblings of them wanting to run a WrestleMania weekend show in New Orleans, but… That seemed to be shot down pretty quickly. So don't anticipate that's, that's, that's that right not now. not
2: going to work out because they're, they're going to be doing a tour. So they, they always do a tour what throughout March, and it's usually in the last several years. It's been capped off with a sumo hall show in early April, right? So it, just because of that tradition and figuring they're probably going to do it again makes the idea of a WrestleMania weekend show seem unlikely, right?
3: Yeah, it seems like that. They might be restructuring their schedules as far as where big shows go generally throughout the calendar next year. I've seen a little bit of that. But right now, don't anticipate anything like that. That
1: coincides with something major that they usually do in years past. And uh, just for for fans that might not be as familiar with New Japan, if you had to kind of graph the interest levels for uh, New Japan, I would say what it peaks in in July and August. I mean, sorry, January and August, basically for Wrestle Kingdom and the G One tournament, and then it kind of s- swoops down in between those two points.
3: As far as overall interest in the product, I would say, yeah. January, July, and August are the three biggest months, and August is usually a little bit higher than January because that's when the final is for the G1 tournament, and everything else is a little bit below. Actually, this year, June was pretty high also because the Dominion show, which had the second Okada Omega match, which went to a 60-minute draw, did, a very, did a very well, both in Japan and the overseas markets. So those are probably, you have the January, and then you have the summer cluster, which are the most the biggest times
1: for New Japan right now. Thinking back over the last two years, you had AJ Styles, you know, leave TNA, go to New Japan and make a pretty good name for himself and then end up in WWE. And this year we had a lot of rumors, of course, of Kenny Omega coming out of all this and and possibly being a free agent and and the rumors about whether or not he wanted to go to WWE and uh, the evidence, of course, that he resigned with New Japan. But clearly not forever. Do you see a time where uh, Kenny Omega decides to leave New Japan or do you think uh, basically the company is investing heavily in him and that they're really going to go all the way with this Canadian.
3: Well, I think that it's both pretty evident that they're really investing in him, despite the fact that some people are complaining that he hasn't won the title yet and some people think that he looks bad for being in two back-to-back G1 finals, which I think is a little bit ridiculous, but that's neither here nor there. I think that they have a lot of investment in him and they clearly see him as the flag as the pinnacle of their... United States and overall worldwide expansion goals because right now he is probably the most over guy outside of Japan by a good distance. And do I see him possibly leaving? Sure. I wouldn't say it's a guarantee that he stays or goes, but I think that he'll probably be around for at least a good longer while. And hey, maybe somebody else will come along who surpasses him in that role and then he feels like he's being lost in the shuffle. Anything's possible because time moves quickly in wrestling.
1: Looking at the, the trends here of, of attendance, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Brandon to ask some more questions. Um, you know, Brandon had a graph where he was kind of looking at the total G1 Climax attendance, and it was 70,000 for 2015, 74,000 for 2016, almost 81,000 for 2017. We see this kind of growth here. Is this sustainable growth? Do you think 2018 can really be a lot bigger than 2017, or is 2017 kind of – We're starting to peak out um, based on both the the talent roster depth and the injuries on the horizon and everything else that could possibly be going on.
3: Well, I've been thinking about this quite a bit recently because New Japan, over time, they might be hitting a ceiling soon as far as what they're capable of producing in terms of growth with their limited media footprint. Because right now, people might not know about this, the Japanese television, they have a show for 30 minutes – Every week, it's pretty much a highlight show. Like this week, we'll show the G1 final. Next week, we'll show the two title matches, the two tag title matches from the G1 final, and that's what they have right now. It's on at two o'clock in the morning in Tokyo and other other times in various other regions of Japan. And it's not quite Friday night at nine p.m. for an hour like it used to be back in the '80s. So. Unless their television situation dramatically improves, I think I can't see repeated growth of 6,000 fans over a 19-day tournament for that much longer. And the other thing is they had a lot of sellouts on this tour, at least like 12, I think, 12 of 19 shows sold out at least. And that means they're going to have to start running larger venues or greater configurations for those venues if they want to keep seeing growth. With things like running three shows in Corican Hall, I think that might not happen next year. Because if they really want to see more growth for this tournament, they're going to have to start like taking it out of the smaller venues. Probably one of the reasons why they had growth this year so much was because they they saw what the worst performing markets were last year, and they chopped those off. The four worst cities for us, as far as attendance, excluding Corican Hall because it's a small venue, were Nagano. Tokorozawa, Takamatsu, and Yamagata, and you saw those four cities. None of them got a show this year for the G1, so they clearly saw that they want to make more money this year, and they're not going to run those those bad cities again.
1: That's a great point. Uh, just just kind of reflecting on on the learnings that some companies, you know, just seem to kind of do the same thing all the time, and and not really learn from the mistakes. And it, it does sound like. In a business expansion strategy, here they're actually trying to maximize their profit with the limited number of shows they're going to run. So I I love hearing that and knowing that that's an opportunity. And just like WWE touring, a lot of times if if a city is not so great, they don't visit it for a while, and then when they come back, they actually have a good house because you know people kind of have pent up demand, and uh, it just works better to go to Fargo every other year than you know twice a year. But um, Brandon, what are some of
2: your your questions or thoughts going on? So New Japan is on. Broadcast TV, TV Asahi, at really late at night. Right, like two a.m. two two a.m. and that, that's on once a week, right? Yes, on Sundays at two a.m. Thirty minute or sixty minute show? Thirty minutes. We we have do we have no do we have any idea what the ratings are for that?
3: We have no idea what the ratings are. I remember Dave used to get them in the Observer, but now we don't.
2: Yeah, way back we used to get. Uh, I think we used to get ratings for like whatever, whatever all Japan was doing on NTV and whatever New Japan was doing on TV Asahi, but so if, if that's what their time slot, you got a thirty minute show on at two a.m. at night. How, how do people become New Japan fans? That's one thing I've, I've thought. You know, th- this this is a business that's improved quite a bit in the last several years. But like, what is the gateway to entry? Is it really just that two a.m. TV show? And are people DVRing it? Is DVR even even a thing in Japan? Like, how are people becoming exposed to this product? Because it doesn't seem like it's these aren't like renewed lapsed fans so much. Some of them might be, but that, that's not the feeling I get. I don't I don't get the feeling that these are these are fans who are big New Japan fans in the past and have and have been rewon. It feels like these are a lot of new fans, right? And and if 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 I'm right, like how do how does New Japan create these new fans if they have such a a lousy time slot?
3: Well, there are other avenues. Hmm. They have things like uh, pretty much um, media appearances for their stars on other shows and things like that. As far as because they'll be often on TV, also talk shows and things like that. And that's one way you can see, oh, oh, I'm a wrestler. Come watch me now. They have also they have regular broadcast shows on. Uh, satellite television which is a subsidiary of tv asahi like tv asahi channel 2 which they'll have they'll have full shows live in prime time but it's obviously a, a, a far smaller ability to reach out to fans as broadcast television which everybody gets i think that right now their ability to gain new fans is kind of capped because of that and that kind of limits their ability to expand rapidly because so far you've been seeing like significant jumps in their revenue but not a significant jump in their attendance. So you kind of saw that it was becoming more kind of saturated in the hardcore fans as they were coming to more and more shows as the product was getting hotter with them. And if you listen to re- reactions right now, they're great. But clearly, casual fan growth probably isn't where it needs to be as far as true market dominance is concerned. So, And we don't know if that's ever going to come back. Because, you know, a year ago, it was 3 a.m. Now it's 2 a.m. Will it be 1 a.m. next year? It, it changed recently. Yeah, it
1: changed in April. It was 3 a.m. before. Do you, Are they still getting coverage in, in uh, newspapers? I know kind of the era of the pro wrestling weekly magazines has is, is died a lot in, in Japan compared to its heyday. But are they still getting kind of mainstream coverage the way that um, pro wrestling used to in Japanese newspapers?
3: They do get good coverage in the, in the newspapers, obviously Weekly Pro Wrestling, which is a pro wrestling-only publication, which seems to do well. And more often than not, something New Japan-related is on the cover of that. You have Tokyo Sports, which is a sports magazine, which often has New Japan things on the cover when they have a big show or whatever. I say overall their coverage is decent but not great because I don't know how much there is as far as outside of the wrestling bubble is concerned
1: and the sports bubble. Speaking about kind of maxing out on that G1 attendance, do you think there's a possibility they're going to adopt kind of the the tiered system that uh, Dave Meltzer was talking about where instead of there just being an A block and a B block, it's almost a four block model and you give the guys a little bit more time off, but you possibly have the chance to run more shows?
3: I could see that, though – it might not work out for them, and they might not do it because the thing is, when you spread out your top stars and your money-drawing stars over four different blocks instead of just two, you don't have as many money matches. So I would think that that might be a deterrent from them to do something like that, even though it might be good for the health of the wrestlers. I remember Kidani saying that we were going to have something new and different for this year's G1, and that ended up being... Well, as far as the actual tournament was concerned, it ended up being nothing. It might have... Been manifested in the USA shows, which had G1 branding, but weren't part of the actual tournament, like some speculated they might have been. So we'll see if they do something different next year. Right now, this seems to be working for them.
1: Yeah, and 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 like you say, that's the other choice would be some kind of USA branch that uh, either held one of those four blocks that they were running, or would be part of the qualifiers or part of the. The setup for the G1 is, is using some of the U.S. tour as as a new element, too, to kind of spruce things up. But you're, that's a great point that, you know, a lot of times people, promoters included, make promises that things are going to be new and shiny and interesting. And really, they just deliver something that is pretty much the same as before. And you have to squint pretty hard to try to determine if anything's different. Um, do you think New Japan is growing their revenue through ticket prices being up or just through pure attendance being up or, of course, a combination of both?
3: I would say both, because people have look at some of the ticket prices this year for the big shows, and I saw some people who are Japanese fans on Twitter who was pretty surprised and a little upset that prices for the good seats went up so much. When you see things like the G1 final, ringside seats last year were 20,000 yen, which is about, I'd say, a little under $200, to 30,000 yen, which is over $270. And you see similar growth like that, though obviously not as much for the Cheaper ticket prices, you got to think, well, New Japan's really trying to see or trying to get as much as they can out of these fans now to increase their gates despite, you know, limited venue sizes.
1: And one thing that, you know, WWE has learned over the last 10 years here has just been your big shows, there's this subclass of super fans that you can charge quite a lot of money and you can make a lot of money off of. And one of the things WWE really has started to capitalize on is these travel packages where they've tried to, in some ways, made it easier for international fans to come to a WrestleMania. And, you know, they'll give you a hotel. Sometimes they'll even have airfare. They'll have meet and greets. They have a lot of the stuff kind of combined. And I was talking to Brandon a few shows ago about just with Wrestle Kingdom, it seems like it's a hot ticket. It seems like it's something that there's a lot of fans in other countries that want to go see this. But at the same time. Figuring out how to get wrestling tickets in Japan is not always as easy as people think it's going to be compared to other, you know, other marketplaces in the world. Do you think there's any changes that are ever going to be coming where New Japan's going to think more about how to market themselves for fans that want to come in and watch shows in their country? It would not surprise me
3: at all if we see Wrestle Kingdom travel packages for foreign fans coming out this year, and that's not like it's a scoop or anything. But I just saw. And what they were doing for the Japanese fans? The G1 Special in USA had travel packages for Japanese fans to stay in Long Beach, and some of them actually did. And there was like a a a, a, um, a dinner party hosted by Red Shuzuno, the referee. It was pretty surprising the lengths they went to to accommodate the Japanese fans who might have traveled overseas to see these shows in California. And, and it uh, wouldn't be surprising me if I see that happening in the reverse for Wrestle Kingdom in January.
1: And that would be great, because I I think WWE has learned so much about the fact that these travel packages, that these international fans really want it. And they kind of want that luxury package that, you know, a lot of the hassle is taken away from. And the number one thing I hear from people you know, my wife went to Japan uh, last year and when she was there, she's like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to see a wrestling show. And they were just like, oh, we didn't yeah. realize how tough it is for us to get tickets. Yeah, she went with a guy that spoke Japanese uh, and had, had lived there for a while. So she felt comfortable enough that the two of them could try and figure this out. And even they, you know, it didn't work with their schedule, but also it was tough to kind of figure out where you go buy tickets at and where you travel to and whatnot. So I, I just were they in Tokyo? Uh, they were. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so it, it's just one of those things where I I just feel like it's a missed opportunity right now that as they're getting hot here in America, there's people that the novelty of going over to Japan and seeing a show is huge. But I think the the challenge is that sometimes figuring out how to navigate all these hurdles can kind of put people off from just you know clicking that button and really going ahead. So I'm glad to hear that. That's really smart on their part.
3: Well, they're they're on their YouTube channel. They had some pretty popular videos that came out a few months ago with. Uh, uh, Rocky Romero, Beretta, and Will Ospreay showing how to buy tickets at Cora and to go to a show there. So clearly, the thinking about also looks a little bit, and we might see that manifested in greater efforts next year.
2: And just a few minutes ago, we were talking about the, the health of the wrestlers, and we saw uh, in, in the G1, of course, there was a, the Kenny Omega and Evil match where it looks like Evil's knocked down on his feet, but the match continues. Obviously, there's this story with the Shibata injury. Um, Homna suffered a serious neck injury recently. He's like, it's like, what do we know? I, you may not know anything more than, than, than we know, but wh- what do you know about any kind of uh, health standards? I've, I think we've discussed that there's probably no wellness policy in New Japan. There's probably no send them to Pittsburgh before we sign them like, like there is in WWE. So wh- what do you know about what's going on there?
3: I know very little. Because they seem to keep it fairly secret. And there's really nothing I can go to to say, oh, this is what they do. These are the type of tests they run on their wrestlers. So overall,
1: it's kind of a a blank spot for me as far as knowledge is concerned. So maybe you can settle a a discussion we had earlier, which was, do you think if they didn't have Tanahashi on this G1 tour, it would have hurt them significantly? Because we were debating whether or not he was working hurt, basically, because they, they figured they would not be able to really grow year over year if they didn't have Tanahashi
2: on the card. And, and is the Tanahashi injury as legit as it's sold to be?
3: Ask Zach Sabre Jr. He worked over that arm for 20 minutes. <laughs> um, sure. I, uh, well, we saw pictures of Tanahashi and his arm on on that uh, scan. And it looked, I don't know too much about anatomy, but it didn't look too great. So it seemed like the injury was legitimate. The extent of it may not have been. We really don't know. And the fact that it seemed to be a target for many of his matches in the tournament suggests that it probably wasn't Hanging by a thread, although we don't know that for certain. He might just be a madman that says, yeah, I'm injured. Exploit <laughs> it in the matches for drama. That seems to be the type of thing he might do, but we really have no idea.
1: Would you agree, though, that he's still a, a significant major member of, of the team in the sense that if they didn't have him, it would have hurt G1?
3: Yeah, certainly. Because in the A block, you had him and Naito, and they were the guys who were main eventing most of the shows. So I think only one show didn't have one of them in the main event. So they were relied upon to draw and be the marquee stars for that block of the tournaments. And without, and without Tanahashi, who do you put in that spot? It's less clear. So I think that he still has, he's still definitely one of the top three or four guys in the company for certain. I think it would have hurt attendance if he was not there.
1: And a lot of people love to do the fantasy booking of, okay, a couple of years from now, Daniel Bryan comes back to wrestling and decides to go to new Japan and, uh, Nakamura finishes his WWE obligation and goes back, and uh, yeah, CM Punk decides he's done with MMA and signs with and New Japan, and maybe Kenta, you know, leaves leaves WWE yeah. and decides to go to New Japan or something like that. You would then have a, this glut of new guys, but they'd all be upper ages there. So when you're thinking about New Japan right now, do you see them in a position where they have to worry a lot about the future because some of their biggest stars are getting older and older and older? Or do you think they've been able to kind of inject new talent in these young lions underneath and that we've seen some stars possibly in the making?
3: I think that for a period, probably mostly last year, it was a little bit concerning because you had even Okada talking about, I really don't have that many rivals who are near my age. And that's something that New Japan should get on with creating or scouting or developing. Because otherwise, who am I going to fight? And I don't know how much in kayfabe that was because he's beaten most people. But it's true that you need more new young talent. And I was concerned. But then New Japan came out with like seven young lions in the span of six months. So I don't know how concerned I have to be now. They seem to be doing better with uh, scouting than they have been before. And they have some good talent coming up. Though obviously it's going to take years before they're ready to be in main event positions though. Obviously, as we see with Evil being in the main event against Okada at King of Pro Wrestling, they don't have any issues with pushing younger guys who aren't that experienced into prominent positions if they think if they think that they're ready and that they've shown that they're capable of performing at that level.
1: So let's talk some names. Who who are you thinking of as, as the young lions that are jumping out? I mean, a lot of people said this has been a kind of a career-making year for Juice Robinson and becoming a star in New Japan and really getting over. But... um Besides the, the super, who, who's the giant guy who's the young lion that you know I'm thinking of? The one that Vince McMahon would be salivating over?
3: That is my favorite young lion, the one who has gotten me some attention for my fandom of him in Japanese wrestling circles, Katsuya Kitamura. He is 30, 31 years old and about 265 pounds. He is a monster of a human. And
1: I think they see a lot in him. And uh, uh, besides him, is there any other young Lions that you've seen that you thought, oh, this guy, you know, give him a couple more years of seasoning. He he could really show some uh, great potential.
3: I think all of them because nobody's bad. And some of them have advantages of things like look or size. But I think all of them have potential. Tomoyuki Oka, who is 26 years old. He's also a pretty big guy, though obviously not as jump off the paper. Wow, look at that freak as uh, Kitamura is, though he has a great amateur background and. I think that for his legitness, they see a lot in him as far as his, as well as his size and youth. Hirai Kawato is 20 years old, the young Spitfire who everybody seems to enjoy now. He's everybody's favorite wrestle boy. And he's probably the most tenured of the young Lions now because he's been out for about a year and a half since he debuted, and, he were, and he's already great. If he challenged Kushida for the junior heavyweight title tomorrow, I would have no issue because he's already that good. So clearly their talent development is there. It's just a matter of finding the raw humans to then mold into the wrestlers of tomorrow. And I think that they're going to have
2: more of those. With people like... With, Kamatsu and Tanaka will come back eventually someday too, right? Do you see them as juniors or heavyweights?
3: I think for the time being, they'll be juniors because the junior scene needs more guys right now, especially native Japanese guys. People were really happy with the best of the Super Junior Tournament this year. But when they looked at it more closely, they realized it was very foreign or heavy. You had like Dragon Lee, Will Osprey, Ricochet and other people like that who are filling out the ranks, you can't, you can't rely on those guys forever. You don't know where they're going to be in a couple of years. So it's priority for them right now to have a more roster that they can be reliant on over the next several years, besides um, with obviously Japanese guys who the fans of the main audience can relate to more. So
1: we, We've seen North America have a pretty strong emphasis on second and third generation wrestlers. Um, both in Mexico and, you know, if you look in WWE, there's a huge group of guys that are either related to or the children of a uh, a WWE superstar of past years. In Japan, we've obviously seen, you know, second-generation guys get into the business, but I, I don't feel like I'm seeing as much from the Hashimoto's and whatnot of the world that um, are coming out there. Who, who are those second-generation guys that are playing a big role on the scene these days? Well, Shibata was one, right? Yeah, Shibata was a
3: second-generation wrestler, and, you know, who knows what his future holds right now. But, yeah, overall, you don't really see that many second-generation wrestlers in Japan, at least ones of prominent stature. Daichi Daichi Hashimoto was one of the most famous ones. You have Shota Umino, who may or may not count because his father wasn't a wrestler. He was a referee in red shoes. And he's coming up. He has a lot of potential, too, when he's very young. He's the youngest in the Young Lions right now. I can't think of that many, though. It's pretty surprising. But But
2: there's Hashimoto uh daichi right correct daichi hashimoto who's who's uh working zero one and there's and there's a lot of other really good talents in in various promotions like i don't know it's people who come to mind are like daisuke Sekimoto and maybe okabashi as well these are both guys from big japan and so japanese wrestling is very different from american wrestling in that and maybe in american wrestling there would there would be you know these really good talents would strive to to get to the big promotion eventually but that's not really what happens in japan is that you, you become very loyal to whatever promotion you start with right
3: yeah. And for the record, uh, Daichi Hashimoto isn't really a zero one guy anymore right now He's mostly Big Japan. He hasn't worked zero one since March 2016. So that's where he is now.
1: But I mean, sometimes they will roll out one of these guys and kind of make it a big deal that it's the son of so and so and push it in a direction. And I just think it's interesting that you're saying, you know, they're doing a really good job of developing young lions, finding this new talent, and they're not relying on second generation. And we've just seen such a different mentality here in the United States where. A lot of times, you know, even from the May Young Classic all the way up to the main roster, you're seeing people that are second and third generation uh, coming on the scene. And so it's just really intriguing for me to to see just such a different model in play. Uh, one second generation guy that has been all over the world uh, this year has been Cody Rhodes. And um, I was just kind of curious what your take was on on maybe how the Japanese fans have taken or not taken to, to Cody, Bullet Club Cody.
3: Well, I think as far as the japanese fans reception i know that some of the women think he's very attractive but i don't know too much other than that um, he's clearly been making waves and i'm surely his name has helped him i don't i don't think he would deny that his name has helped him um, gain a media footprint and get attention as far as from other promotions and from people and he seems to be very, to be popular in some groups and not popular in others right now but he seems to be doing well for himself so good for him
1: Will we see a time when the Bullet Club has NWO'd itself and run its course in such a way that it just it feels old and trite?
3: Most people say that already happened, but clearly you have at least some group of guys right now who are doing well and getting popular. I can tell you right now that if you were suddenly to experience the absence of Kenny Omega and the Young Bugs who are pretty much holding up that faction right now, you probably see fairly little value in the faction outside of them. I think they're responsible with the elite for having sustained at least some level of novelty for the group. And I don't know how much longer they have in them. They still sell. So clearly they aren't that played out yet because their merchandise still flies. Do I see them disbanding? You might wonder that. Not anytime soon. Because I think what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing more of them working in America. Because Kadani's plans included possibly a New Japan brand based in the United States, running shows regularly here in the in the U.S. And I think if that does happen, you'll see a lot of the Bullet Club offloaded into an area where they're more popular. And guys like, who can I think of, like Tomatonga, someone who, when I see on social media, a lot of people like him. A lot of people think he has a lot of potential to do well, and they think that he should be in a more prominent position, but he's not that over in Japan yet. So you might see him working more in the United States, in an area where he has greater potential for Reaching out to the fans and making money.
2: It sounds like disbanding the Bullet Club is sort of like turning John Cena heel and that they're not going to do it because the merchandise, for one reason, the merchandise sales are so good that they would be hurting those merchandise sales to, to do that, to disband the Bullet, the Bullet Club.
1: Well, why do you think chaos still exists? Merchandise, baby. S- speaking of uh, making money, uh, there was a number once that was thrown around for what Okada was making a year. And uh, I was curious if we could discuss that. So does anyone remember what that number was, 2.2 2 million? That's correct. Yeah. And, and do you buy that number? Do you think that's low, that's high? See, when I read that,
3: I figured that was probably a misinterpretation of the thing that Kidani was coming out with, saying we're going to spend 200 million yen, which is a little under $2 million, on Okada marketing. We're going to put his name out in the media using this money to make him a more popular star in the country. And I think that people might have interpreted that as what he was going to be paid. I saw some of that on social media as well before even this figure of $2.2 million is what he'd make in a year came out. Some people interpreted it incorrectly. So my first interpretation for that $2.2 million was this is an interpretation of the media budget. But apparently it isn't because even you have people who are more prominent in the media talking about, no, that's actually true. Do I believe it? I'm skeptical. But... If he's really making $2 million in a company that grosses $30 million a year, that shows how much value they have in him, if it is the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, the flip of it could be it's some kind of a mix between what he makes and what he generates. So, you know, it's including merchandise sales or something else in that number there, which he gets a portion of but uh, that's the yeah that's that's a really surprising number because kind of you know saying like a john cena like number guy who's the top guy paid guy in the company cena makes somewhere in the range of probably 5 to 10 million a year in wwe but that's a 700 million dollar company so we're talking 1/70th of the company's uh, money which would be more like half a million for okada so uh, a very different ratio there going on um in terms of of other guys do you know anything about their video games in terms of do they get royalties for the video games and uh, how video games work with their Bushiroad uh, contract?
3: Well, as far as video games go, they really only have one, which is that kind of mediocre-looking game called Let's Play Pro Wrestling, which is on mobile, de- mobile devices. They don't have any AAA video game like WWE does, so that's something that they might want to look into, but consoles really aren't that popular in Japan right now, so don't expect it.
2: And then and, and things like Fire Pro, they don't, actually use the names right
3: no they don't they just have people who are just regular fans who are creating these characters and they don't get any royalties from that i would think
1: and also the japanese copyright trademark system is very different than the american system so things that we pay royalties on here in the u.s are very different than what would be paid in in japan uh that's the one thing i've learned a lot from my my wife's comparative copyright class in u.s and japanese law um, Japan has three trademarks that are active in the US, USPTO. Uh, do uh, do you know what they are? I, I, I have the list, but I'm just kind of curious if you have a guess. I have no idea, and I wouldn't even begin to know where to guess. Let me know. So the first one is the New Japan emblem with the, the, the lion in the middle, king of sports, New Japan wrestling. And that's for all the clothing, basically. So that, that one's not a big surprise. The second one is Bullet Club and uh they registered that back in twenty six twenty fifteen 2015 is when they started on that and so that was really interesting that when they went that direction now just seeing how much merchandise they're put, putting out with bullet club and then the third one is yao y e a o h exclamation point which um uh, which wrestler is that associated with? Shinsuke Nakamura. Ah, interesting. So yes, it is that one which they registered in 2016. Um and so
2: those do you think that was a matter of we don't want WWE to use this?
1: Um I, I honestly and has
2: Nakamura been been saying that since he's been signed. He probably did it first. I I, I want to say he's not been doing that lately though, has he?
1: It was a clo- all thing. three of them are clothing trademarks, so clearly it was much more around the merchand- merchandising rights for those specific things. Uh, but I just found that really interesting that you know those are the three things that they felt the need to go out and make sure they had international copyrights on. And of course, with the, the growth of the Bullet Club shirts through Hot Topic um in in the united states it's been interesting to kind of see that explode and all the variations uh there within what is the scenario where you see new japan imploding and this this u.s expansion goes terrible or this streaming service just doesn't work or or, and costs just start to eclipse the company what is kind of the nightmare scenario for new japan right now in your mind evan
3: well, the nightmare scenario was a combination of talent leaving and getting injured, I would say. If you had like Okada and Naito get injured and then, oh, Kenny Omega's leaving and Tanahashi's still 41 years old and banged up, then you could clearly – there's a good chance that you'd see the company go back into the red again. But uh, despite – other than a nightmare scenario like that where just everything that can go wrong does go wrong, I think the company is pretty strong for the foreseeable future.
1: And then what about someone like All Japan? You, you talk about them having a much better year coming in here. Is there um, wind beneath their wings, or do you think this is just going to be, this is the new normal for them, but it's still going to uh, plateau?
3: I really don't know how much further they can go without procuring more new young talent, because the idea is Kento is the centerpiece of this, but can he do it alone? And I'm really not sure about that, because at the end of the idea, at the end of the day, the idea of wrestling is talent development and making new stars. So is there a ceiling on them if they're just at their current state? Oh, they just have this one guy who's real popular and young and charismatic. They're running more large venue shows in the near future. And with people like Satoshi Kojima and Taiichi working the All Japan Sumo Hall show, which is uh, tonight or tomorrow, depending on where you live. You, Well, maybe at the time of the recording anyway. You might see a more body relationship between them and New Japan Pro Wrestling, which might give them some benefits also. But, yeah, I don't know how much further they can go with their current state. They constantly have to be, you know, procuring as much new young talent as they can and making new stars out of them so that they have a good base for the future that isn't just one guy who stands out above the pack
1: as far as young talent goes. I, I don't know how closely you follow stardom, but they seem like for a moment they, are, they were going to have the nightmare scenario where their top people were all leaving – And uh, it it turned around a little bit when one of the stars decided not to sign with WWE and come back, possibly due to uh, medical clearance. But um, what's kind of been your take on stardom over the last few years here um, in terms of their growth and their potential? And will they – do they have the right relationships to ever grow women's wrestling back to anywhere near where it was in in the heyday?
3: Well, as far as stardom is concerned, I think that – I have to admit, I don't follow their booking too closely. I just read hot takes about their booking on Twitter. So it seems like they have a good base of both native of native talent, a lot of young talent, at least a few of them. But right now they seem to heavily pad their roster with foreign talent from places like the American Indies and British Indies and um, Ring of Honor as well. And I think that it's decent for right now, but at the end of the day, they're a Japanese promotion, they need more Japanese stars, and right now you have Two people who are Io Shirai, who was the person who was rumored to have gone to WWE, but that seems to not be happening now. And Mayu Iwatani, who is the current champion. And they seem to be the two top stars at a level above everybody else right now, with Kairi Hojo, Kairi Sane now having left. So they're going to have to create new people who are at that same level. Can they do it? I think so, but it's a matter of how much emphasis is placed on them in the booking. So...
1: In the old days, we saw a lot of importing top stars from other sports. So we saw sumo stars coming in. And, of course, there was the run with Aki Bono all through the mid uh late 2000s and, and early 2010s. There's and uh, the host of sumo guys that came in back in the 90s. Um, we've seen, you know, amateur wrestlers flip over. Of course, we saw a, a buttload of fighters, MMA guys come in in the early 2000s in what Brandon always likes to call a And, um, you know, everyone from Don Fry to uh, Ernesto Hust uh, uh, fighting there. Are we seeing any more of these kind of um, sports stars come turned wrestlers lately? Has there been any um, big names? I mean, obviously, the bodybuilder you mentioned earlier as the Young Lion, but uh, any other kind of major sports stars that have seemed to switch sports to pro wrestling lately?
3: Not recently. I haven't really heard of any. Actually, I would think that as far as Joshi is concerned, as far as Japanese women's wrestling... They would do well to capitalize on amateur wrestling right now, much like, like New Japan focuses on, because Japanese women's amateur wrestling did really well in this past year's Olympics. I think they had like three gold
1: medalists and all you got very young women who did really well. Did Animal uh, Hamaguchi's daughter ever go into pro wrestling? Hamaguchi? Yeah. Um, was it? Wasn't that? Wasn't she the superstar Japanese amateur wrestler? Uh, I don't really, I don't really know anything about that, unfortunately. Oh, I was trying to think because it was a pro wrestler who had – he had basically trained his daughter from the beginning of her life to be this superstar wrestler, amateur wrestler. And then she went to the Olympics and she ended up not winning. And then it was a big question about whether she was going to go through four more years of hell.
2: And I thought it was animal, animals. Kyoto Hamaguchi. Kyoto Hamaguchi is a Japanese freestyle wrestler. She won five – Feel world wrestling world championships.
1: Yes, yes, that's who I'm thinking of, and 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 his her, her father was, was was yeah, Anil Hamaguchi. Yeah, yep. okay, yes. So and I was just curious if she had ever gone into pro wrestling since uh, they had such a connection, but it doesn't look like uh, she has. She did. Yeah, she, it
2: said she. And real, and real quick, last night I put on a random wrestling match on on YouTube, and eventually what comes up is a match from 2009, it's Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kurt Angle. Of all people, Kurnegal looks like a totally different human being in 2009. But uh, it's it's from 2009 and it's at the Sumo Hall, and you can tell from watching it. So this is what eight years ago, and the the energy is, is so different, and and the way Tanahashi is, although he still got the the cool hair and whatnot, but but the energy there's there's no there's no air guitar sequence at the end. It's just a very different feel, and. I hadn't been following New Japan like between the years of probably 2005 and 2013 or so, so I, I missed out on all that. But yeah, I really got the feeling from just watching that one match at, at Sumo Hall that this is a business that's that's changed a lot in terms of well, how the fans are reacting in the seats and what the vibe of the promotion is. So, like, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at. Is, so, there's been a big difference, obviously, in business, and, and I I feel there's a big difference in just when you when you watch the shows and the way it, it feels. So, who, who's responsible for that is it is it all tanahashi does tanahashi deserve uh, a, a big share of the credit how important are people like okada and naito and, and omega and people like that
3: well i would have to say that probably tanahashi was one of the few guys see this is actually a shame on me because i am admittedly not that educated as far as the inner work as the details of japanese wrestling as far as in past decades go though i do know that Tanahashi was pretty much one of the most over guys in a time period where they really didn't have that many of them. So I would think that he'd have to be credited as far as really coming into his ace role in the late 2000s and early 2010s and enabling people like Naito and Okada to get as over as they are to the point where you have crowds that are pretty much screaming from the moment the bell rings in the G1 final for Naito, mostly Naito anyway. And you have such a different atmosphere compared to... You know, shows of old where you could hear a pin drop because they really that wasn't much fire of the promotion. It wasn't that there wasn't that much buzz and excitement around it, but it was a thing that people still went to.
2: Right. And, and one thing that one thing that people say to me sometimes when we're discussing like, well, how important was Tanahashi? How, how much of a draw was he? They'll say, well, he um, he may be a big star now, but he was also the top star when this promotion was as economic worst.
3: Yeah, actually, that is. There's pretty much a good bit of truth to that because I'm looking at this um, revenue chart right now from 1997 to 2016, and the period of bottoming out was pretty much in the late 2000s, like 2010, 2011, which was pretty much before the buyout before they started seeing a real growth again. So it had stabilized, but stabilized at its lowest point during the, during the middle part of Tanahashi's run as Ace. So you could look at that as a criticism of him from a business perspective. Was he really a draw? Or was he the guy that stabilized business when I could have kept going down without him?
1: Let's um, think about some of the legends that are left in, in wrestling in Japan. So you have Jushin Liger, who has just uh, unbelievably persevered kind of decade after decade here and continues to still, uh, is on good days, put on some pretty good matches. Uh, do you see him slowing down and retiring soon? Um, obviously, we've already lost... Misawa, uh, Masawa, Kenta Biashi has retired, and a lot of the other guys from kind of the heydays of the 90s seem to be going away. But, you know, you still see Muda out there. You still see, um, you know, Onida obviously will never quit. Um, and then, you know, guys like, was it Fujinami who was having his big kind of retirement ceremonies in Tenru in recent years? Um, I guess Fujinami, not so much. He's still going sometimes at age 63. But do, do you think that New Japan will ever build around a big retirement tour? Or do you think they're just not into that, the, as we kind of saw evidence with Um Yuji Nagata this year?
3: Yeah, you saw a lot of criticism of the booking for that because you saw that young guys like you could do. You had like Yuji Nagata, who was doing his last G1 tournament this year, and Liger, who said he was going to be in the last Best of the Super Juniors he had ever done this year. And both of them, you had them get, I think, one win or that's about it in the tournament when people said, oh, we can make this a big uh, attraction because this is the last tournament. And he might go all the way like Ricky Choshu did in his last G1 where he was in the finals and won it in the end. So uh, people are surprised that they really didn't do more than that. They pretty much had them mostly lose and lose and lose. And they thought that it was kind of disappointing and kind of anticlimactic when you see guys saying, well, this is my last time. Support me, please. And they end up just doing really poorly. People were upset even though – actually, it's, it's so funny to me, and I haven't gotten used to it yet, when I see people saying, no, actually push the old guys more because of the company that I used to follow. So it was kind of interesting seeing that. And right now, New Japan seems to be mostly focused on its youth. We push the young guys and the old guys. You are there. You can have good matches. It's not like we're going to like hold you down. You're just gonna not gonna win so much because right now we're focusing on making the young guys look good. And do I think that's a bad thing? Maybe. Maybe not. Do I think they could have done more with like Liger, who's someone who's so legendary for the junior heavyweights? Could he have given it gotten a final run and made it look good in his last tournament? Yeah. He did perform well in the tournament. Yuji Nagata. A lot of people a lot of people said that Yuji Nagata was one of their favorite guys in the whole G one tournament, despite being
1: on the uh losing end mostly yeah
3: yeah despite being a losing end and being almost 50 years
1: old so yeah and it just makes me wonder because I, I think that's the element of pro wrestling that you get which is you can have the feel-good story in pro wrestling because you can book it and companies a lot of times i think fail to recognize how much they can get away with it like Brandon and i were looking at google trends yesterday and you know one thing that really pops up is you can see how important rick flair's kind of last run in WWE was and how much buzz it it started to create and I I think there's just a lot of really good feel good momentum and obviously you can giant Baba and just go and move into the tag ranks in the beginning and do you know silly spots for the rest of your career or you can you know try to go out with some uh, you know grace and dignity or you can just hold on forever uh, it will be really interesting to kind of see if they decide to, as as some of these guys I have to believe are going to get towards the end of their career and, and you know, quote-unquote retire, um, if we'll see them kind of build a tour around Liger or something like that in the future. I could easily see someone
3: like Tanahashi's retirement getting a lot of publicity and then really focusing on it. He's a guy that I could see, you know, being in final contention in the last year of his tournaments, even though there's always the argument of what, you shouldn't put somebody who's in the last year of the tournaments – who's having their last tournament in a very high position because it makes no kayfabe sense. Why are you done if you're still going strong and you could have won the thing or came close to winning it? So I could s- also, you don't want to overdo the feel good moments because you can have someone like Tenzan last year who people thought might have his big feel good moments with him being given his last G1 to coach Ko- by uh, Kojima And him starting on a couple of wins, but then ultimately losing until the end. Like you shouldn't have a tens on miracle run, then a Nagata miracle run, then a Liger miracle run, because then it gets played out. But then you could also say, well, having the old guys lose that gets played out too. So,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. You you don't want to be too predictable, but at the same time, you know, it's just like any other kind of wrestling booking. You don't want it to be too predictable, and at the same time, you want to use the formulas that work and. Have worked generation after generation. Um, Japan wrestling has Japanese wrestling has seen a lot of uh, wrestlers move into uh, politics and other areas. Uh, you know, obviously Hase, and um, for a small time, I think uh, Sasuke was was a politician. And we, we've seen many other you know people. Noki obviously, uh, move up in in the ranks over years. Is there anyone else that you've you've ever heard any rumors of of so and so you know has some political leanings or business leanings, and they might make a run for it in the future?
3: I haven't really heard anything about that. The only thing I have heard about future plans for aging top stars was that Tanahashi said he wanted to be a high-level executive in New Japan when he was done. He wanted to be like president of the company.
1: And and I could definitely see that. You know, that's that's historically something they've done a lot. Is is had that kind of figurehead or actual head of the, the legend who's kind of moved behind the scenes. Um, are you surprised at all that someone like Ghetto has has been as successful, Ghetto and Jado, Jado or but uh, Ghetto primarily, right, is the booker for New Japan, um, has been as successful as he's been in that role, considering his background of being kind of a mid-tier player in professional wrestling prior to this?
3: Well, I don't really know if you should be so, I guess, surprised that... Because I don't really think that your level as far as being a wrestler's concerned has to do too much with your ability to book a promotion because you see what works and what doesn't. You're there for the shows. You see who gets over and how they get over, what's being done with them. So I think that your KFA position and where you've been, it doesn't matter as much because you have guys who are totally non-wrestlers come in and do pretty good jobs and you have guys who are great wrestlers who come in and don't do so great with the booking and being in charge of a role where they're not just wrestling but they're structuring shows
1: and they're trying to get new new people over so and i'll give i'll give you that but i will challenge that we have seen historically the guys that are on top wield the most political power oftentimes and so the booking oftentimes will follow the whims of the guys that are the strongest and on top and so you know in in many federations especially in north america but also in japan we've seen you know the the most powerful on top people end up wielding the most booking power in terms of deciding who's winning and losing. So I guess I've always just been surprised that, you know, he ended up in that position. And I think he's shown a great mind for it. And I I know someone asked Dave the same question and Dave kind of researched and just said, you know, it was offered to I think it was Nagata or something and basically they came back and said, no, I don't want to do that and, and Ghetto said, I, I want to do this. I've been studying this for a while. I think I'm ready. And uh, I think it's been a big success to see that happen. And I agree with you. I wish we'd see more of this, where people would not conflate their kayfabe position with their actual booking ability. But um, sadly, that's not always true.
3: Yeah, I actually think it's, a, it's in some ways it's a benefit to have somebody who is a low-card guy end up in a booking position because they don't have the ego of a top guy. Ghetto's not putting himself over. He loses no, almost don't. always. Yeah. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe most people should do that. Put losers in the
1: booking spot. See how it goes. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I mean, you you can always flip it around and say the very top guys, they understand what made them special and what made them strong. And they connected the most. And it wasn't about being egalitarians. It was about, you know, finding the most important people and making sure that they were protected. Right. But uh, finding that balance is tough. And I do I do think I agree with you that, you know, it's not like Hulk Hogan comes into a federation, looks the undercard and says these guys should be pushed more. So, yeah, there's definitely something to
2: be said there. Brandon, what are some of your other questions or thoughts? The last one I think I have left is so what really is the difference between no vacancy, super no vacancy and super no vacancy full house or whatever it is? Is is there any difference?
3: Well, I really don't know. Like I always wondered, like, as far as percentages go. Is this the cutoff point, or is there a certain amount? Like, And this is not just
2: used by one promotion. Most promotions right?
3: use it. It's pretty much like a, a tiered system where, like, super no Vacancy Full House is totally sold out. Every seat has someone in it. There were no tickets left available. no Vacancy is close to that. And no vacancy is close to being close to sold out. Whatever that might mean.
1: Well, this has been a, a, a awesome opportunity for us to pick the mind of someone else who's been looking at um, business statistics and and not only evaluating the product based on their enjoyment and the, the booking that's going on, but really trying to also correlate that with the information that's gatherable on the web for both business standpoints, attendance standpoints, and correlating it with people. And so we really appreciate having an expert.
2: And I think it's really important, especially – when we're talking about people who don't do this as their full-time job, like Chris and I, it's really hard to cover if you if, if you're just trying to take it the approach that, that we often do of trying to cover the business of pro wrestling. Um, it's it's hard to cover more than like one promotion well. So it, it's really helpful to have people like Evan on to explain to us what's going on in the Japanese wrestling industry.
1: Absolutely. And so, Evan, can you get your plugs in? Tell us a little bit about wh- how people can follow you, how they can learn more about what you've written, what you're studying, and then also how they can participate a little bit more in the discussions around Japanese wrestling.
3: Well, I pretty much only have two things to plug. My Twitter handle is because at W uh, because Evan Deadly Sins was my Reddit handle, but that was already taken, so I just put a W. Maybe it's like Tiger Mask W, and I don't know where he's been recently. So that's one way you can follow me. And uh, right now, my little, uh, my little pride and joy is, my, is the New Japan Pro Wrestling subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash njpw. And that's another way, if you're on Reddit, you, you can join the discussion as far as all things New Japan Pro Wrestling. We currently almost have 9,000 subscribers, which I'm very happy about. To that we had basically zero before Wrestle Kingdom 9.
1: That's incredible. Great, great work. And uh, I'm glad that there's a resource for that. And, you know, everything that we've been talking about for, for the squared circle. Um, a portion of Reddit, the one thing that jumps out is it's a very WWE-centric subreddit, and so it's much more important Although there does seem to be substantial in Japan, awareness. there's awareness. Yeah. But like even when we looked at that census the other day, we we found that you know most of the people we were thinking about was WWE, and so it's great to have kind of a new Japan focused um, forum and and resource for people to discuss things. And uh, I do encourage you to follow Evan on Twitter and to uh, you know check out the forum and or the, the the subreddit and just see all the discussions that are going on because Japanese wrestling is an exciting time right now, and especially with the U.S. expansion, I think it's only going to get more exciting. Uh, Any other questions, comments, concerns from anyone else? Well,
3: actually, if you're talking about that survey, it was pretty fun, pretty cool to see that New Japan Pro Wrestling right now, and by a good margin, is the most seemingly, in hardcore circles, the most popular pro wrestling promotion out there right now.
1: Yeah, we were commenting on how much higher it was compared to even like Ring of Honor or something, which, you know, has domestic coverage.
3: And they're not even doing all they can for the foreign market. So if they do, it'll be pretty incredible to see what they can do in the future
1: absolutely absolutely. well everyone you've been listening to WrestleNomics Radio this is a uh, a bonus special show that we did uh, one of our first interviews with Brandon and I as co-hosts uh, you can always find more information about WrestleNomics Radio over at uh, tinyurl.com slash WrestleNomics Radio that will take you over to our, our list of all the different podcasts we've been doing we're a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Mukigana you can find Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Thurston um, did I get that right? You got it. Yeah, awesome. Fine. And uh, uh, we have a Patreon page. You can always support the work that we do here by going to that patreon.com slash RussellNomics, and you can email us at russellnomics@gmail.com. at gmail.com and we will get those notes. We'll think about them and we'll try to add them for some more interesting conversations. If you know of someone or you are someone that is an expert in the business of, of professional wrestling business, and you think you'd be a great guest for the show, reach out to us, let us know. Because uh, we'd love to keep talking to other experts. It's it's so refreshing to kind of be able to pick someone else's brain, especially on a subject that you know I, I've looked into, but I don't really have a great knowledge base on. So it's a lot of fun to talk to someone else who's passionate about this stuff. Thank you, Evan. Excellent.
3: Thank, Thank you for being here.
1: And we're out.